you'll turn with me to John chapter 15, or turn to page 8 in your bulletins. Allow me to read the the teaching or the passage on what today's teaching is based. John, the author, exegeting and interpreting who Christ is. We're now here at probably one of the most famous and greatest teachings um, to his disciples as he prepares for his death. John chapter 15. I'm going to read actually three more verses than you have printed in your bulletins. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 11. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And this is God's word. We're closing in on the conclusion of our series on the gospel according to John as we look at the advent of Christ the Advent, it's really a, it's a Latin phrase, it's a Latin word that means coming, the arrival, the anticipation. So the Advent and the Gospel according to John really here converge, at least in our series uh, this season, and it calls us to understand what Christmas is about, rather, who Christmas is all about. Who is Jesus Christ? And in John chapter 15, you know, this is John's, really his last teaching to his disciples before he's arrested, before he's killed. Now, If you knew you're going to die soon, the things that you share would be the things that are closest to your heart, the most important, the most significant things in your heart, in your life. And it's going to say a lot about who you are. It's going to say a lot about what you value. It's customary in the Old Testament for leaders, people like Moses, Joshua, all through the generations of the Old Testament, who would gather the next in line of their leadership as they're preparing to pass away. They would gather them around as they're preparing to die. They would pass on their final teaching. And what they would do is they would, pass, they would recount the law of God. They would recount his word. And they would basically tell people to renew the covenant because the generation as it passes into the next generation, it's time to renew your commitment to the Lord. And so he says, stay connected to the word. Stay connected to the law. Obey the law. Here, Jesus, he gathers his friends. He gathers his leaders, the apostles. And he says, I want you to stay connected to me. That's what John chapter 15 is all about. Because what Jesus is saying here is that the key to faith, the key to life, the key to maturity as a Christian is not following a set of rules, but rather to be connected organically 
to a person, to have a relationship with Jesus. In other words, change cannot happen without being organically connected to who Jesus is. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. We're going to go through four very quick points today. First, the need. Second, the meaning. Third, the fruit. And four, the power. Why we need to be connected to Jesus. What does it mean to be connected to Jesus? What are the fruits of being connected to Jesus? And what is the power by which we can connect to Jesus? The need, the meaning, the fruit, the power. First, we're going to go into the need. Why do we need to be connected to Jesus? And this is a very short point. It's because the world is naturally heading towards decay. The world naturally is headed towards entropy. Science majors, chemistry majors, you know this. The world is naturally heading towards disorder and decay. That's the natural state. There's a principle, a law of decay that's at work in the world. So things, even if you don't touch it, even if you just leave it alone, they just fall apart. They just start to deteriorate. It could be a language that you've learned. It could be your sports, your athletic ability. It could be uh, your diet. It could be the work that you do, the relationships that you have. If you just leave them alone, they just start to fall apart. Naturally, they just start to fall apart, which means it takes work. It takes energy. It takes input. It takes discipline, really, to stay alive. That's what it does. Otherwise, just the mere passage of time leads us into decay. And if that's the case in the material world, all the more that's the case in your spiritual life, in our spiritual character, in our spiritual maturity. If you just leave things alone, time alone will decay your character. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, but for a Christian, change is guaranteed. You will grow. You will change. A Christian can change. A Christian will change because he's connected to Jesus. That's why you need to be connected. That's the first point. Now, what's the meaning of being connected to Christ, the meaning of the vine. We see this in verses 5 to 8. Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. What does a vine do? A vine, the stem, it gives life to all the branches. Much like the way your arteries give life to uh, your organs. So the metaphor that Jesus chooses to describe himself, of all the things that he could have chosen to describe himself, The moment before he passes away, the moment before he's murdered, the moment before he's killed, ironically, is a vine. It's a living thing. Before he dies, the the metaphor that he chooses to describe himself, Jesus says, I am a living thing. I am the vine, full of vitality. He says, I want you to build the pattern of your life around the pattern of my life through my death. That's what he's saying. I want you to place the center of your priorities, the center of your joy, around the center of my priorities, around the center of my joy. I want you to build the, pri- the center of your meaning in life around the center of what meant life for me. I want you to be organically connected to that. I want you to be attached to that, to depend on that. Really what he's talking about here is an intimate life, an intimate relationship with Jesus, so intimate, so attached, so intrusive, I mean, that's what the stem does. It just just pours life into its branches. So intrusive, so invading, invasive, so imposing, so close that your growth depends only on that vine. Now, when you love somebody, you would understand this because when you love somebody, there's a tendency to tie your happiness 
apart from your own, the things that you pursue, into the happiness of another person. You pretty much tie your happiness and joy, what you derive joy and happiness from around another person. And it could be, you know, it could be your spouse. It could be just a very good friend of yours. It could be your children. It could be your work, your boss. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm not just another vine. He says, I am the true vine. Don't feed off the love of your spouse. Don't feed off the love of just your friend. Don't feed off the love primarily from your children. Don't feed off the love of your, of your boss. Those things cannot give life to you the way I give life to you. I, I'm the only one who can give real life to you. Now, if the, the life of the vine, the life of the, the, the stem, uh, its nourishment goes into a branch, what happens? Lasting growth. The vine, the branches just continue to grow. And it's because they're joined together. In other words, Jesus is saying, the center, the, Jesus is center, uh, uh, his life, his joy, his mission, his sonship is going to feed your center. It's going to feed your life, your joy, your mission. And so if there's no growth in the branch, it could very well because you're not really organically attached, you're cosmetically attached. You just look like you're attached. If there's no life in the branch, it could be that you're not joined at all. Either you're cosmetically attached or you're not joined at all. Now think about this. Take a bush. Take a bush in your yard. And uh, in the spring, you expect these bushes, you see these bushes, they, they explode with flowers, beautiful flowers, incredible fragrance. You know, maybe there's lots of fruit there. And uh, once uh, spring arrives, however, you look out and you look at this bush and you say, wow, there's only thorns. I only see thorns. So there should be flowers that's the way this bush was made, but I only see thorns. What do you do? So your remedy, what you do, let's say you, you, you take a ladder, you climb up this bush, you know, and you basically start to trim off all the areas that have thorns. You just trim them, cut them all with pruning shears. And you take a staple, and you take beautiful fragrant flowers, and you start to staple beautiful fragrant flowers onto these branches, Right? And you, you, see, you know, and eat some apples. You take this beautiful fruit, nice tasting fruit, beautiful oranges, ripe, wonderful oranges. You start to staple these oranges to the bush. You start to staple these apples to the bush. And you say, now I have a fruit-bearing bush. What happens next year? You expect to see beautiful flowers and apples and oranges, but what do you get? You're going to get thorns. You're going to get thorns. Why is that? It's because uh, the lives, our lives are nourished by the vine that we are attached to. That's what nourishes us. That's what feeds us. And that's what grows us. Jesus is saying here, I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. Only I can give you lasting fruit. Only I can give you new life, new joy, a great peace, those are the fruits, really. Those are the lasting fruits being connected to me. He's talking about constant nourishment, an organic relationship, not a mechanical relationship. So when he says in verse 5, I am the true vine, and he says it again, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. That's an absolutely remarkable statement because throughout the Bible, Israel was regarded as the vine of God. The vine of God. It had this orga- supposed to have this organic relationship with the ultimate power source that gives life. But really, when you look throughout the Bible, because the Israelites, they connected only mechanically to God through a system of laws and through their culture, 
really, whenever the vine is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's in relation to Israel's failure to produce food. God often says, you only produce thorns. You're only thorn-producing people. You have a mechanical relationship with me. You have a distant relationship with me, a casual relationship with me. A lot of us have that. God is kind of on the periphery of our lives, and we're just using God to fulfill our agenda. So when Jesus says in verse 5, I am the true vine, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, what he's saying is I'm abolishing all your other pursuits that promise you life, that promise you growth. I'm abolishing it. I'm taking away the right of those things. Now, we're going to bring this down to earth just a little bit. Some of us live mechanical spiritual lives, meaning that we think we're attached. We act like we're attached. What that means is, just to bring it down to earth, we read the Bible, sometimes religiously. We go to church religiously. We may attend community groups. We may pray. But these things, these things are really just mechanical things. The doing of these things is not going to power you. Because if you're not powered by a relationship with Christ, if you're not attached to him, if Jesus is not the source of your life, what's the difference between a real relationship and a casual relationship? A real relationship is intimate with you. Real relationships go deep. The deeper you go, the more your lives intertwine, the more you start to tie your happiness around the joy of that other person. And when you do that, as you go deep, what happens? Arguments start to arise because as you go deep, your values start getting touched. So when you're with somebody that you love and the deeper you go in relationship with that person, it's inevitable their values sometimes misalign with your values and they clash. And when you do that, fights break out. Arguments break out. In that sense, arguments aren't necessarily bad. It's actually a sign of intimacy. You're actually trying to go deeper. You're trying to align values. You're battling. It's shaking your foundations. So as your foundations are shaking, you're aligning around your values. You're coming to an accord. If your relationship with Jesus is not disturbing you at times, if your relationship with Jesus is not arguing with you, if the Bible is not arguing with you at times, you know, a lot of times we look at the Bible, we read it, and we say, I don't agree with this. And we walk away. You would never do that to somebody you want to get deeper with. You would fight. You would argue. You would pursue. Here, if your relationship with Jesus, if it doesn't challenge you at times, it doesn't hit your values, go against your values sometimes, then it's not going to give you joy either, right? It's not going to give you joy. If, if you're not disagreeing, if you don't see the pain of a disagreement in a relationship with Jesus, you're not going to experience the joy of alignment either. You're not going to see the joy of coming around to certain things. You're not deriving life from the vine. You need to be connected to the true vine, the true stem that's Christ, new life. That's what's going to lead to fruit. Jesus is talking about fruit. Through this passage, we see this. We're going to read this. He talks about fruit with respect to being connected to the vine. In verse 7, I'm just going to read verses 5 to 7 here, right? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, how does he define being remained in him? Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. A lot of times we take that last part, say, I've asked, God doesn't give. You're just having, that's just a mechanical relationship. If that's the part you focus on. He says, what he's really saying is, the more you go deep with me, 
the more you are values align. The things that you ask for will be the things that I ask for. Why? Because our, our lives are intertwining. Your happiness is being modeled around my happiness. My joy and center is being modeled around your joy and center. So when you ask for things, and really in the context, look at this, what he's talking about here, verse 5, he talks about fruit. Verse 6, he's talking about uh, a branch that doesn't have fruit. Verse 7 then, he says, if you ask, what are you asking for? You're asking for fruit. You're asking for fruit. That's the context. Ask for fruit. You're going to get anything you want. It's not a blanket statement. He's saying ask for fruit. Ask for godly character, and you're going to get it. Ask for the character of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, the mission of Jesus in your life. You're going to get it. Friends, don't give up on yourselves. That's what this means. Don't give up on yourselves. Every day, we fight a natural tendency in this world driving us into chaos and and decay. The world is just naturally going into decay. We're just getting older every day. Our bodies are decaying. Our lives, our relationships, if we don't tend to them regularly, they start to decay naturally. Don't be cynical about trying to change. Just because it hasn't worked in your life, you know, I'm trying to change and it's not changing, ask. Cling to Jesus. You can't change on your own. The whole point of Jesus saying this is you're not, you need to be attached to the vine. Remain in Jesus. Ask Jesus. You say, wow, that, gosh, that sounds so petty to ask to change these bad habits. That's what the Bible is saying. We can't, not even the simplest habits. We can't change them. Our addictions, our loves, our desires have such a grip in our lives, it's brought us to decay and death. That's, that's life. So don't, don't be ashamed to it. Just ask, and Jesus will shape your heart. If you want power, if you want peace, if you want self-control, just ask. And now, it doesn't mean that you just kind of wait and sit around until something happens. There's this thing called a dependent responsibility. There's a thing called dependence. There's a thing called responsibility. And there's a thing called clinging to the vine with responsibility. It means we've got to abandon all the other sources of, of life and joy in our lives. That's the responsibility part. You can't just sit around and just tend to those things. Rather, you cling to Christ. Abandon the other sources of life. Derive nourishment from Jesus. Listen to his word. Through his word, through prayer, seek counsel. In, in other words, what Jesus is saying is, I want you to take change in your life and etch change into every part of your life. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on other people. The vine is the source and it provides life. Okay, so we talked about why we need it. The world is falling into decay. What is it? The vine is the source of life. Abandon the other sources of life that give life to you, and you have life abundantly. That's really what Jesus said. He's not trying to decrease your life. He's trying to increase your life. Now, three, what happens? What are the fruits? Jesus says, verse four, he says, remain in me. Now, the NIV, if you, that's what we have printed in our bulletins. Once, the NIV is a very readable version of the Bible, and that's why we tend to use this. It's very accurate and readable. But sometimes it kind of takes the language and it it, kind of dulls the language to a degree to make it more readable. The ESV, if you look at the English Standard Version, there's probably a better translation of this word. It's a word we often do not use. And that's why the NIV uses the word remain. Jesus says, the Greek word here is to abide. Abide in me, he says. Abide in the vine. What does it mean to abide? To abide is to depend with every faculty of your being. Take every faculty of your being 
and etch it into the life that is yours. Etch the life of Christ into every part of your own life. Right, I'm going to read verses 1 to 2. He says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. That's what he says. In other words, the father, the gardener, he comes over, and if you've ever gone to a vineyard, he basically the vineyard, the gardener, he comes over, he examines all these branches in the vine. And really what he's looking for is to see which branches have a real relationship, an organic relationship with the vine. They're really attached or the ones that are kind of cosmetically attached. They're not growing properly because not really deriving all the nourishment that the vine can produce. So what he does is he, he snips it. And so when you walk through a vineyard, if you've ever been through a vineyard, you'll see very healthy looking fruit on the ground. You'll see healthy looking branches on the ground. If you look at the vine, it's covered in sores covered it's bleeding all over the place sores everywhere because what the gardener is doing he's trying to make sure that every branch that is actually attached to the vine will nourish and derive as much nourishment as possible that's what he's trying to do he's really examining to see where is their life because where there isn't life i'm going to snip it away that's what he's going to do and if the gardener is examining that clearly that's a metaphor if if god is examining our lives in this way we should be examining our lives in that way too What are we examining? Jesus says, the fruit of his word. Because he says, remain in my word, you will produce fruit. So what the gardener is looking for is fruit. I'm going to read verses 3 to 4. He says, you are already clean. Why? Because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. How? We talked about remaining in his word, and I will remain in you. You're already clean. You already have life because of this word that I've spoken to you. Remain in that. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, he says. He says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. I'm looking for these areas where you are remaining. I'm looking for areas where there's life in your life. I'm looking for fruit. I don't just want you to have a mechanical relationship with me. What type of a relationship do you have with the Father? Are you mechanically religious? Or are you critically, vitally dependent on Christ? You need to examine this. A a mechanical relationship just reads. A mechanical relationship just does church. A A mechanical relationship just attends things. But there are other things that are driving his real agenda. There are other things that are driving his real, that are really, that he's deriving his life from. He's connected somewhere else to increase his options and potential and joy and freedom. When in reality, those things will inevitably decrease his options and potential and joy and freedom. So when there's a person with a mechanical relationship who comes to Jesus, he's really just looking to supplement his life. He wants God to help him with his loneliness. He wants God to help him to find a spouse. He wants God to help him increase his wealth or find some sort of identity or find a career. How do you tell what kind of relationship you have with God? The gardener is looking for fruit, he says. What kind of fruit? What is fruit? We said it's character. The gardener is looking for character. Change only comes through the work of the vine. 
that's an amazing thing because we say, well, I try, I try to improve myself every day. There's a difference between trying to improve yourself because that kind of change doesn't last. That's like the person going to the bush, snipping off the thorny areas and stapling fruit and saying, yes, I've changed. It's a mechanical relationship. It's apart from the power of the vine. Jesus says the change that I'm looking for is the change that comes when you have attached to the vine. It's very, very unique. It's incredibly remarkable because it's impossible. It's things that would be impossible if you were never connected. This is not a, Christianity is not about becoming nicer. You know, a lot of times, people of the clergy are indicted by public, by the public, because they're not nice, or they're not approachable, or they seem mean, or I don't agree with certain decisions. But, but if you think about it, really, that's not what this is about. Christianity is about newness. It's not about niceness. It's not about becoming a nicer person, a better person. It's about becoming a new person. It's about becoming attached to the vine in a way that it makes your life new, brings newness in your life. That's what it's about. Change can only, it's the kind of change that can only come when your life is attached to the vine that's Christ. It's the kind that only comes from a critical dependence on the vine, one that bears Jesus' vital strength, his power. He talks about two fruits. It's not really printed in your bulletin. I'm going to read. It's in verses 9 and 10. That's why I wanted to read it for us. What kind of changes is he talking about? So he says, now, we walk, we walk through verses 1 through 8. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, he says, remain in me, remain in my love. Love is a fruit. Verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. He's talking at the two character points that he's talking about. He says, I want to see love in you, a love that would never be there if you were not attached to me. A love that would be impossible if you were not attached to me. That makes you love people outside of yourself in ways that are absolutely remarkable if, I, if, you, if people knew who you really were. An impossible love apart from me. I want to see you obey. That means surrendering things, sacrificing things that would have been impossible if you were not connected to me. I want you to abide in me. That's what he's saying. That's what he says. That's what he's talking about. It's an amazing thing. I want you to build and etch around the pattern of my life through my death and, and build around that. And let that be, that my love for you has to become your worth and your identity and your security and that's got to be visible and it's got to be palpable. You have to be able to experience it almost on a regular basis. You have to derive nourishment from that love of God. You can't earn it. You try to earn it, that becomes mechanical. If you try to earn it, if you say, oh, the moment you say, I have to do this because if I don't, then something's going to happen, then you're, you're building a mechanical relationship with God. You know what happens? You become incredibly tired. You become anxious. You become jealous of people. You become incredibly insecure. You try to bolster up the way you present yourself in front of people. You're always trying to sound more noble than you are. That is, that is, the, that is huge. We always try to make ourselves to be more noble than we really are. In fact, things that really weren't intended out of nobility, we try to make them sound noble. That's what we do. We become angry. You know what that is? That's like a flower that's wilting because you're not deriving life from the vine. You may look attached on the outside, but on the inside, you're caving in. That's what's happening. A Christian lives by grace alone 
That means that he knows he's treasured. He knows he's protected. He knows he's secure. And you know, when you, ha- when you know that you're treasured and loved and protected and secure, it's going to make you calmer in suffering. It's going to make you less anxious in suffering. It's going to make you more loving around very, very difficult people, difficult people to yourself. It's going to give you joy. The hallmark is joy. Let's take a look at two people. Here's an example of two people. The first person, he loves out of fear. He loves because he's afraid. And so uh, what I'm saying is he loves because if he doesn't love, then he's afraid he's going to get kicked out of an inner circle or he's not going to be loved in return. So really what he's doing, he's loving out of an emptiness. He's loving because really his tank is empty. And so you know how you know this? Because if he doesn't get what he wants, if he doesn't get the response that he wants, he becomes angry, defiant, bitter, in despair. The second person, this person loves because they are so full. There's an overwhelming sense of God's love in his life. And he's attached to that love. He builds the pattern of his life around that love. What happens? He becomes sacrificial. He becomes humble. You know why? Because even, I'll, I'll explain this in a second. He may be really bad at it, but he wants it and he continues to grow in it. He's loving because his tank is full. And so even if somebody hurts his feelings, even if he's slighted, even if he's insulted, even if he's hurt, those things don't define him because he knows he's treasured and he's protected and he's loved and he's secure by the one love that lasts for a whole, for all time, for eternity. That obedience leads to what? Sacrifice, submission. You guys ever read J- Jane Eyre? Jane Eyre, I never read these books when I was in high school. I never, went, I never I pretended to read them. I was mechanically related to these books, I guess. You know, but as you read these again, you come back to them, you say, wow, these are powerful books. Jane Bear, Jane Eyre, Jane Bear. Jane Eyre is in love with a man. She's a very plain woman, very plain woman in a, in a, a society before the era of feminism, femininism, right? And, uh, and uh, she's in love with this man, and he's a decent man, a wonderful man. His name's Rochester, but there's a problem. Rochester's already married. Rochester's already married. But the thing is, he's married to this person who's incredibly sick, and he's gone mad. He's, she's gone crazy. And it's one of the greatest pieces of literature because you really get to see the heart of Jane Eyre. You really get to see what drives Jane Eyre in the story. It's one of the first books that shows you the inner motives of a person, and it's kind of laid out. And so there's this struggle. I'm going to kind of walk this through for you. There's a struggle. She wants to be loved. She wants to be loved and she, because she's in love with this man. She wants his love. But she concludes because he's married, and she's a believer. She's a Christian in this story. She says, I must renounce this love. I must renounce this idol. I will not be yours. Now, this man starts to make an advance towards her. In an era, again, before feminism, in an era when if you were advanced by anybody, by a man, even if he was married, you give in. You submit to these people, especially if you're lower class. So at one point, Rochester advances and says, it would not be wicked for you to love me. She responds, it would be wicked to obey you. She rationalizes. Her heart, her conscience resists. On one hand, the mind says, comply. You have to. This is what society beckons you to do. Rationalize it. Love him back. She resolves. The law was created for moments, 
such as this. The voice says, comply. You say, I will be strong. Jane Eyre is being told to appease society, to do what society says she should be doing. Give in to your passions. Give in to your loves. Give in to the things. If it feels good, go for it. Do it. If it feels good, how can it be wrong? If you're loved and you love, how can, how can that be wrong? How can that be wrong? But she says, in a Christian, this is in a society before feminism. She becomes the proto-feminist because she says, no, I will obey. In her submission, she says, no. That's biblical femininity. Unbelievable. She says, I will obey because there is a greater love. Where do you get the power? Where do you get the power to have that kind of abiding spirit? Because Jesus says, you know, verse 3, you were you already clean because of the word. Remain in it, he says. So you've got to read the Bible. You've got to meditate on the Bible. You've got to let the Bible dwell in you. You need to digest the Bible. You've got you to let that nourish you. You've got to interpret your world around you, this world that is falling into decay, through the lens of the Bible. If not, you're putting on the wrong glasses. You can't see clearly. It's the only lens that helps you to see clearly, he's saying. Let it speak into, then, all the things that you love. Let it speak into all the things that you're pursuing. Let it, give it a voice. Give God a voice in those areas in your life so that you will obey. Let the Bible argue with you. Let it disturb you. Sometimes it judges you. Let it fight with you. What's happening? You're getting a relationship with Jesus. You're going deeper. There's this intimate relationship that's starting to develop, and it's going to bear fruit, and that fruit is love and obedience. Now, how do you do this? Where do you get the power to do this? Verses 1 to 2, Jesus says the gardener's job is really to bring out the best in the vine. So really, pruning is, is the most important thing that this gardener can do because it's going to stimulate the vine and it's going to make the branches produce. So again, if you go to a vineyard during pruning season, all over you see leaves. They're very healthy-looking leaves and branches everywhere. Sores all the way down the vine. I mean, holes and sores, and there's bleeding everywhere in the vine, right? And you just see grapes and branches just ripped out and cut and snipped. The vine is literally bleeding in 100 places. There's a lot of dead branches or dying branches. It looks like a waste. I mean, it looks like all these healthy grapes. It looks like a waste, but it's absolutely intentional. Every snip, every cut, with these pruning shears, they're not random. It's almost like this, this gardener is like an artist, and he's really going through, and every stroke he makes, he's like a surgeon. Now, come on, think about it. The difference between a, a, a serial killer and a surgeon is what? They both have knives. A serial killer is out to harm you, but a surgeon knows that if he doesn't make these cuts, and it's going to hurt, these cuts are going to hurt. But if he doesn't make these cuts, it will kill you. You will not be attached right. The vine will not produce well. What Jesus is saying, every hurt that you experience, every pain, every pain that you experience, God is present. Friends, I don't want to minimize the suffering that we experience. I mean, if you have been a part of this church, there has been a season of suffering, and it goes across the board. And, and I don't want to minimize that at all. Friends, I mean, you know, I can tell you about my past. My father murdered when I was a child. I can tell you about today. I can tell you about in the today. In my family, my wife and I, we've experienced miscarriages after miscarriage after miscarriage in our lives. Suffering is real because our, our world is falling into decay. It's real. Every loss, every time that you feel the steel, every cut 
It's not random. It's not random. There is a gardener that knows. Every failure that you experience, every misstep, every time you take a step and you say, oh, this is going to ruin me, you say, these are the cuts of a surgeon. These are the cuts of a surgeon. He knows that if he doesn't cut, you're not going to thrive. You're not going to grow. You're not going to progress. You're not going to succeed. So if you're trying to discipline yourself, what are you doing? You know, when you, try, when you work out, what are you doing? You're losing. You're tearing down muscle. Why? To build up, right? That's what you're doing. When you discipline your child, right, it's not like you enjoy disciplining your child. It's not like, oh, I'm the, it's a hobby of mine. No one does that. You hate doing it. It hurts you. But you're doing it because that's how your child will thrive, right? That's the work of the gardener. That's what he's doing. It pains him. I'm going to show you why it pains him, but it pains him. It's easy to assume in our lives that God doesn't have a perspective. After all, he's God. How can he possibly have a perspective? How can he possibly have a better perspective than what you need? I mean, is he down here? Is he walking on foot? Is he on the ground with me? It's easy to assume that, that God doesn't have a skillful eye because he's detached. It's really because we're detached. He's pruning us still. Look at the faithfulness of God. You know, he, he, you, you realize you thought that something else was divine, and so you're connected to that vine. And so when it gets pruned, it is painful because you've poured so much into this and you thought you're growing, but it's actually sucking life out of you. You don't even realize it. You think you're drawing nourishment from these things? It's like candy. You eat candy. You eat a lot of candy. Halloween, your kids, you eat a lot of candy, right? What happens? They get full. They think they're full, but they're actually not being nourished, right? That's what's happening. You're sucking life, but it's really sucking your life. And so what the gardener is doing is he's making you detach from these things. And it can be painful, but it's pruning. And so in your pain, in your sores, in your cuts, what's God doing? He's taking away the things that are, make, that are really moving you towards a mechanical relationship. And when you feel pain, I mean, anybody who's experienced any type of suffering understands this. When you feel pain, that is organic. That is real to you. It's not a mechanical. No one has mechanical pain. It is real. And that ties you and forces you to cling to Christ. It does, it, it, you know, you know things are mechanical when things stop working in your life. You know, I've been trying, I've been doing this all my life, and now I'm at a certain age, and it doesn't work anymore for me. So what do you conclude, that the vine is lifeless? No. It means you weren't attached right. That's what that means. Cling to the real vine. Because God is going to find points of breakage in your relationship with him because he wants your joy to last and he wants your joy to grow. And it's all about joy. In verse 11, which I con- concluded this reading with, he says, I have done this. Why? So that your joy would be complete. But the irony of this text is that Jesus is preparing for his death. He says, I want your joy to be complete and I want you to be attached, but he's actually preparing to die. So he's teaching them about what's going to grow their joy, but if you think about what's happening, Judas has already left to betray him. His friends in a moment are about to abandon him and he knew it. He's about to be utterly alone and he knew it. Jesus is about to experience the gardener's work on him. He's about to be pruned in the ultimate way. 
He's about to suffer in the ultimate way. He's about to feel the steel shears of his gardener. Why? He says, it's for my greater joy and so that your joy will be complete. Immediately after this teaching, chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus starts to pray for all of us. And how does he start his prayer? He says this. He says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son. The glory that he's talking about. Anytime you see the word glory in the, in the book of John, he's talking about his death. He says, Father, the time has come for me to die. Jesus is praying. You think about it. He's so in tune with his father. He's so in tune with his father's presence. Even as he's about to die, he's depending on his father. He's fully connected to his father. The hour has approached for his pruning. He knows it. Why does he need to be pruned? Do you think about that? I mean, Jesus is perfect. He's already connected. Every part of his life has been etched around the life of his father, around the joy of his father, the center of his father's joy. He drew strength from his father. If he didn't need to be pruned for himself, then he must be being pruned for someone else. He's being pruned for us so that we would have satisfaction, so that our joy would be complete. Israel, they only produce bad fruit. They only produce thorns. So on the cross, what do you see? Jesus, he wears a crown of thorns. On Jesus, the vine, you see tons of sores. You see him bleeding in a hundred places. He's everywhere in Jesus. He's bleeding on the cross. He's the vine. He's being pruned. That's what's happening on the cross. He's saying, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I am feeling the steel of God's wrath. And it is just pouring out at me. This is not a gardener snipping in a careful, strategic way. He's saying, I am being utterly wasted. The wrath of God is pouring. I'm just being chopped up to pieces. That's what's happening. He's being forsaken by God. He's saying, Father, he doesn't need to call him Father. You know, actually, this passage is the only place in the entire Gospels where Jesus doesn't call God his Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is, I am now detached. I have now been cut off. I have felt the steel of complete dissociation from you who are my vine. God, you are my source. You are my life. And now look at my sores. Look at my cuts. Look at my wounds. The blade is now snipping away at me like crazy, and I'm being buried in my pain, and I'm being detached, completely cut off. The book of Isaiah says he has been cut off from the living. Why? So that we could be connected. He's been severed from the vine. He's been severed from lasting worth. He has lost his identity. He doesn't even call God his father. He's been disowned. Why? So you could be owned. He has lost his worth. Why? So that you could be his treasure. He says, I have no more safety. I'm an open sore. Why? So that you could have security. I'm detached. Why? So you could be attached. There is your assurance of God's love. There's your security. There's your worth. There's your forgiveness. Look at the love of Christ. Look at the sacrifice of Christ. Look at the resilience of Christ. Sometimes we feel like we're just getting thorns. We're not getting the thorns. Look at the, you gotta look at your life through the lens of the Bible. God is pruning. God is shaping you. He's drawing out your greatest potential. 
He's drawing out your greatest freedom. He's drawing out your greatest joy. Friends, next week we're going to have a Christmas service here. It's customary. It's traditional for us every year to have a Christmas service the week of Christmas. Prayerfully and preparedly will you enter into this week being mindful of Christ who came. Why do we celebrate the Advent? We celebrate the Advent because Christmas is about the coming of Christ. But as Christians, we are celebrating the return of Christ to come. It is the second coming, another Advent, a greater fulfilling Advent. But the thing is, the coming of Christ was fulfilling. You know why? Because he wasn't born on a throne. He was born in a manger. That means from the moment he was born, even as a baby, before he could even utter a word, utter a teaching, his life was being etched around the joy of his father to redeem his people. Will you meditate on that this week? Let that be your assurance. Let that be your security. Let that be your treasure. And if you see how treasured you are by God, you will treasure Jesus. You will love Jesus. Jesus will be more beautiful to you. You will bless him. You will celebrate him. You will, you will praise and respond to him in that way. Will you do that? And you will do that actively. How? Two ways, right? You love and you obey. Will you do that this week? Will you practice that this week? Let's pray.